we come to these yoga studios and to our practice and to our mat to find safety, acceptance, and love and compassion. But when you're a person of color, it actually can feel quite violent. Hello, yogis, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Dharma Talk. I'm your host, Henry Winslow, and this is episode number 50, the big five zero. I can hardly believe we are at the halfway point to 100 episodes. That is unreal and a huge milestone. I have to say I would not be continuing to do this if I weren't constantly motivated by the messages I received from some of you all saying how much you get out of the show. So know that uh, it means a lot when I receive those, and it really is my privilege to have these conversations and share them with you. So thank you for tuning in each and every week. Before we dive into this week's episode, I want to give a big thank you and shout out to Jacqueline Akimoto, who made a donation to support the podcast. Thank you so much for doing that. It makes a big difference, and I really appreciate you. If anyone else would like to make a donation, there's always a link to do that on my website, henrywins.com, or you can also get there at dharmatalk.show. Now, about this week's guest, I interviewed Cassandra Lamb, and Cassandra is the founder and CEO of a group called The Cosmos, which is a community that creates content for Asian American women to flourish and thrive. And she really credits her yoga practice for not only showing her internally that she has the power to create something like this, but also that she should embrace her identity in the first place rather than shrink into invisibility. So in this episode, we talk about what each of us brings into our yoga practice and how yoga can inspire us to embrace our ancestral identities. She shares three simple steps that people of color can take to feel more confident and valid in uncomfortable environments, including homogenous yoga studios. And we close with what it means to flourish and thrive versus simply survive and how the cosmos is helping Asian American women come together and celebrate their power. All that is coming up very soon. Just stay tuned through these announcements and we'll dive into my interview with Cassandra Lamb. This episode is brought to you in part by Yoga East Austin. If you're considering joining the upcoming 50-hour rocket yoga training at Yoga East Austin, be sure to act now. There are already 40 amazing yogis from all over the world signed up, and there are only a handful of spots left. You know I'll be there. You've already heard how I feel about the city of Austin and the host studio Yoga East Austin, and I'm sure their reputations alone are playing a part in the global pull. But David Kyle himself is pretty legendary, and I'm certain he's attracting the most diehard of Rocket and Ashtanga Yoga enthusiasts. David started his yoga journey at the tender age of 20. Originally a beat boy, he was a quick study under his very first yoga teacher and eventual mentor, Larry Schultz, the founder of Rocket Yoga. Yep, David's first yoga class ever was an Ashtanga class with Larry, who was one of the original American students of the father of Ashtanga yoga, Patabi Joyce. It wasn't long before David moved to San Francisco to learn and teach at Larry's Shala, It's Yoga. Larry developed the rocket system while touring as the Grateful Dead's private yoga teacher, and David helped Larry fine-tune and spread that system through teacher trainings. 
I'm really looking forward to meeting David. I can't wait to hear more of his personal story and, of course, absorb as much of his knowledge as possible. If, like me, you're interested in adding another yoga tool to your yoga tool belt, here's one crafted by a teacher with deep roots. It's all taking place April 24th to 28th at Yoga East Austin. For more information and registration, head to yogaeastaustin.com rocket. As always, you can find the details for my workshops at henrywins.com events. This month in March, I have workshops coming up at Yoga to the People and Three Jewels, both in New York City. And very soon, I will be announcing details and opening up registration for workshops in April at Original Hot Yoga 305 in Miami and Fuel Hot Yoga in Athens, Georgia. So for registration, head over to henrywins.com events. What's your purpose? What's your vision? What mark will you leave on this planet long after you're gone? I'm Henry Winslow, and you're listening to Dharma Talk, the only podcast where I interview inspirational yogis on how they're changing the world in their own unique ways. Whether you're still searching for your purpose or already walking the path, I hope these stories get you excited to live your dharma. Hello, Dharma Talk community, and welcome back to another episode. Today, I'm interviewing my friend, Cassandra Lamb. Cassandra is on a mission to change the way we live and work from the inside out. After a series of traumatic work experiences, followed by healing through yoga and meditation, she found the courage to listen to her own voice and create her own career path. A former consultant turned entrepreneur, activist, and wellness advocate, Cassandra is passionate about creating spaces that empower people of color. She currently serves as CEO and co-founder of The Cosmos, a community that creates content for Asian women to flourish and thrive. Cassandra, I'm really happy to have you on the show today uh, and excited to see um, where this conversation goes. So how are you? Hi, Henry. I'm so excited to be here as well. Really excited for our conversation. Awesome. We always start with the same uh, starting point, the same first question. So I'll ask you that now. What does the word Dharma mean to you? And what is your Dharma as you understand it today? Dharma to me means living on purpose. And that's something that I'm very intentional about saying, like on purpose versus with purpose. Um, for, for two reasons, obviously, like it's living whatever your purpose is, but also being very intentional about it, being purposeful about uh, activating your values and making sure that it is in alignment across, you know, all arenas of your life. And my path, um, you know, my Dharma has really been to, it's been an interesting journey, but, um, you know, through various different life experiences, I've realized that I care a lot about, um, really bringing together, uh, marginalized communities and creating a world that's, um, you know, truly equal and just, which is, Oftentimes really hard because I find that, you know, it forces not only us to look critically in the mirror at, you know, areas of our lives where we might not be doing so well um, or where where our ego (laughs) might not want us to recognize that we have room to improve. Um, But to me, that is the most fulfilling path, you know, to to look honestly and humbly at society, at myself, at like my communities and, you know, speak to the things that are not right speak to the things that should be changed speak to 
you know, different forms of injustice or oppression that may, might be prevalent in that space. And, you know, how can we come together to really change that? And for me, that takes on um, in mul- that takes on in multiple arenas, whether it's in the yoga world, um, you know, in my work through the cosmos or even just being a human being that lives in a society alongside other human beings. I really like that you made a distinction between living on purpose and with purpose. And at first, you know, I could have just brushed over that and not thought much about it. But the fact that you drew attention to it, you're right. There is something very deliberate about living on purpose. And I feel that coming from you. Um, And it doesn't mean that things are necessarily easy when you're on a purpose or on a path. There is a constant rechecking back and making sure that everything is aligned with your values. Um, As far as looking at the looking humbly at ourselves and society, where where do you begin with that? Um, Because, well, I'll let you answer it. However, you interpret that question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, So for me, the journey really started um, by working on myself. one thing about my story is that I think over the last couple of years, certainly the last five, um, I've really been on a journey to take back my narrative and to kind of reclaim and re-embody my, my identity. And so um, just to give a little context, I am Vietnamese American and I am the daughter of two uh, Vietnamese boat people. So my parents were refugees who escaped the war, you know, went through uh, refugee camps and finally made their way to America. And so... Um, Growing up, there there's a lot that's unsaid there, and uh, you know when you also grow up not seeing people who look like you, um, you start to, you know, slowly, slowly, in a way, almost hate yourself and and not accept yourself, you know. And on the one hand, you have parents who just want you with healthcare and benefits, and on the other hand, you know, you have this ambitious American life that you want that, you know, the society tells you that you should strive for. It's like, you know, go do everything, be the best in everything. And so there was this like huge chasm uh, within me that I I kind of repressed and ignored for a long time. Um, And as I started to realize that, you know, this chasm is only going to get bigger and kind of fracture me from the inside, it really forced me to look at myself and the parts that I was not happy with and to unpack why and how some of those things might be caused by my experiences being um, you know, a woman of color and coming from a Southeast Asian background. Um, and so by doing that work um, on myself through you know, reading and, and really getting into activism, social justice, as well as um, learning more about how to heal myself you know, through yoga and find acceptance and love, um, that was when I realized that in developing the strength and clarity to look at myself, I, t- I can develop, I can pass that on to others and I can use that same perspective to look at the world because I realize that as I, as I change myself, I'm inherently changing the world around me. And so there's no, there's no, uh, there is a disconnection. There's no, there's no separation in that distinction. So for me, um, by being more, more courageous, I guess, in that way to analyze, you know, how I might be untrue to myself um, I was in turn able to start to see parts of uh, my life, parts of my community's life, parts of you know, the worlds that I walk in, um, and also see you know areas that I could improve on and and you know bring that new perspective to, and perhaps inspire other people to similarly develop um, you know that strength. I I wondered if you might go in that direction because that's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. 
um, this idea that, you know, it's natural to want to change the way other people see things, but you really can't do it directly. At least in my experience, it's all about looking at yourself and making the change there and having the patience to allow people to see the example that you're setting or even just picking up on the energy that you're putting out rather than trying to impose some sort of belief system on other people. So I, I appreciate that you um, feel the same way about that. It's really cool to hear. Yeah, absolutely. I find that if you ever try to change somebody, right, like it's just, it creates such a defensive um, reaction and it oftentimes causes like conflict because it's no longer, the, the conversation is no longer about this, um, you know, system that we live in or this, this the, the situation at hand that caused uh, XYZ to happen. It feels so personal, you know, and oftentimes people um, have a hard time taking that, which I, understandably so. I, I too, you know, struggle with that sometimes, not taking things personally. Um, but, you know, what we can do always is to live our values like we were just talking about and people start to notice, you know, like you have this energetic shift that happens when you're just living in alignment with yourself. You know, it's the way that you carry yourself, the way that you talk, um, the energy that you emanate into the circles that you're part of, like all of that is very magnetic and attractive to people. And I find that I see that in other people, mostly when they have been on a really difficult and often arduous journey of trying to accept themselves and in, in accepting themselves, like finding a way to really create the world that they want to live in. Um, and so it's very much like creating more for me, it's about creating a gravitational pull to inspire other people to, you know, go on their own path and to accept people who maybe are not ready for that yet, but to never, of course, be complicit in um, the the way that the world is working if you're not happy with it. So I find that, you know, we all take different paths in, in trying to affect change. Um, but I think the most important thing is that we're all trying in some form or another to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think this is a perfect segue to get into what you're doing with the cosmos. But um, first, let's let's make this real. You know, um, we're kind of talking in, in concept and theory right now. It, can you tell, <laughs> us, tell a story of maybe a way that um, maybe that you struggled with that, you know, where you tried to convince someone to do something or think a different way, but it didn't like, how did you realize that this was not the way forward and that living by example was? Oh man, there are a lot of different things that come to mind. Um, I think a really relevant one for your podcast particularly is, um, in the, the yoga space. So something that I've become increasingly more, I guess, intentional about and also hyper aware of is the fact that, um, you know, I and many other people of color are often the only one in a yoga studio in a wellness centered space. Um, and when the, when I first started, I didn't notice this at first, I, I started practicing six years ago and I didn't notice this at first because I also, like I said, was not at a point in my identity work where I was comfortable with myself. Um, but as I started doing this work, I began to take notice, you know, like whether it's on the subway, in a coffee shop, in a restaurant, um, or in a yoga studio, like, am I the only one, you know, and, and how does that make me feel? Um, and then there, there have been times where it's been uncomfortable, you know, where I've had not so great experiences of being the only one. Um, and as I was navigating through this and trying to understand, you know, what, what does it mean for me to take up space? Um, and what does that 
do to, to other people in that space. It's like when I when I'm not just trying to be a wallflower, but when I really have presence and you know I take my fair share of space, you know, and I don't make myself small to allow others to feel more comfortable. Uh, I began to notice like not only did I feel more safe in these spaces, um, but it was an opportunity for me to really shake up perhaps someone else's idea of what a yoga studio should look like. Um, and this is something that I've become increasingly more vocal about um, because I recognize I have a certain privilege to to speak up and to speak to these things. And having done you know a, a lot of reading and, and work in order to develop a language where I can articulate what I'm saying, um, in a way that hopefully like creates space for understanding on both sides. Um, but also like an, an unwillingness to, um, you know, back down if, even if it's not well received necessarily. Um, and in New York city, I've, I've been lucky to find kind of like my community, my studio where I feel really loved and accepted, but that wasn't always the case. And you know, that it can hurt a lot, right? Like you, we come to these yoga studios into our practice, into our mat to find safety, acceptance and love and compassion but when you're a person of color, it actually can feel quite violent. And that really, and violence, I think it's important to also break down. It's not always just like physical violence. Like violence is also the erasure of someone's experience or the diminishing of their identity or their personhood or the humanity, right? And it happens in multiple different ways. Um, and I think that's why it's so important that when I walk into these spaces, like not only do I, you know, really try to own myself and, and, make myself clearly present, but to connect with the other people of color in that space and to talk about these things and, and really encourage one another to take up uh, more space. And, uh, you know, it's it's been hard. There have definitely been times where I felt um, shut down and, and ignored, but the more and more that I do this, I find that I can be more unapologetic and more courageous, more confident in um, my validity and my self-worth um, as a person of color in that space. Wow, um, that is a really powerful answer. And for, I just wanna kind of recap that for the listeners. Um, if you are feeling connected to what Cassandra is saying right now, I think the three steps that she outlined there when you come into a space is first, you have to own yourself, own your self-worth and not back down from your identity. Second, connect with other people that you see that might share in that experience. And third, encourage them to own their identity as well. And, you know, to go back a little bit, I also thought it was really interesting that you pointed out that it wasn't until you became more comfortable with your identity that you started to take more um, notice of the instances where you were the only one. And that might sound kind of counterintuitive. For me at first, I was like, that mm -hmm. doesn't make sense, you know, because if you're insecure or not comfortable with yourself, automatically you're going to feel more different. But maybe it becomes, and, and maybe you can talk on this more, but it seems that when it's so, there's so much insecurity around your identity, it actually becomes repressed to the point where you won't even acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think you, you covered that pretty nicely. For me, and what I find happens to a lot of people is you don't want to be noticed, right? You want to be just another person in that space. And so for me, uniquely, um, because I can only speak to my experience um, as a Vietnamese American woman growing up, not seeing, uh, not being around very many Asian folks, not seeing a lot of people like me on television or in magazines or in anything really that I could aspire to. It became very important to me to like just be American, to just be 
um, you know, accepted into, um, you know, white centered spaces and, and to really, you, you almost want to be invisible, right? Which is it, right. It does sound counterintuitive, but when you're insecure, you don't want others to hyper focus on the parts that are not necessarily happy with yet that you haven't yet unpacked yourself. Um, and so for me, it was important to just be, you know, I, I'm, I'm just Cassandra. I'm just another American girl. Like that's kind of how I was growing up and even in, in throughout college and you know my younger adulthood. But now it's like, wait a minute, I'm Cassandra, comma, I'm a Vietnamese American, comma, I'm a first generation, you know, daughter of refugees, comma, like all these other identities that I now feel super comfortable merging and bringing with me into a space like that has given me the the courage honestly to to own it right because if you I have found that if you don't know your story if you're not comfortable with your story what you're trying to do a lot of times is avoid talking about the story because it's going to um if it comes to someone else's attention that's something that you know they're going to want to ask questions about and you're not prepared to answer them nor are you necessarily comfortable on unearthing that to somebody and so you know, like everybody's on their own journey to do that. Um, you know, it's it's not just a person of color struggle. I find that this is a human struggle. You know, like we all have these various identities, some of which we're much more proud of than others. Um, but it's only when we merge them together and we decide to breathe new life into them in a way that serves us that we have the confidence to really shine. And it's that magnetic, um, captivating kind of like what is he or she walking around with? They just seem to be like, floating almost like th that comes from that that self-acceptance and I find that um you know it it sometimes takes takes years but the work is so worth doing because not only are you healing yourself and and everyone around you but you're you know you're really activating other people to tap into that same part of themselves you and I both know that um that yoga practice has a lot more to do than just making the the shapes and the postures the asana um, <laughs> though those are fun <laughs> though those are fun um but a big piece of of the path of yoga is introspection so everything that you're talking about um fits nicely into my understanding of of what it mm -hmm. means to practice yoga what has your experience of practicing yoga become um in light of this newfound or relatively newfound awareness and how are you sharing that? Mm -hmm. um, my yoga practice has changed a lot over the years. Um, and I think the biggest difference I notice now uh, is like with this newfound confidence to, you know, take, like I said, take up space. Um, it's allowed me to find more community in the yoga world. Whereas before, I think, um, like I said, I was trying to just be a wallflower and to not be so visible. Um, but now I find that like this practice that I love so much that has allowed me to save myself at multiple junctures of my life. Um, it's something that I care about bringing others um, into and also um, sharing, you know, like and knowing that my presence when I walk into a studio, it, I'm not just walking in as, as me. I'm walking in with you know, ancestors and, and people, marginalized peoples that, that are not supposed to technically be in these spaces. And by bringing in, you know, like my my story and really making sure I insert myself as well as I kind of like create a pathway for others who might not feel comfortable in the yoga space to to come, you know, whether that's as my, my friend, like let's go take a class together or if I'm teaching, like come be my guest, like whatever it is, um, you know, I'm trying to help other people realize that, you know, this practice which has been so powerful for me is accessible to you, right? Like 
the yoga that you see, you know, on Instagram and, you know, in these ads now, it's not the only form of yoga, you know, and, and it really is for everybody and everybody. Um, and so that's really important for me. Um, and this practice, I, I think, has been fundamental to me developing, like I said, that strength to look inward. It's like hold, like holding myself in that uncomfortable space and breathing into it um, has been so much of my, my practice as well as, you know, how I live my life. Um, and I actually had this thought the other day when I was practicing about why, why does yoga feel so good in my body? And I realized it's because it's as if every cell, every muscle, every um, organ is taking a huge gasp of breath and letting it go. And that's like how it makes me feel my body. And, and that translates into, you know, my mental state and my emotional state too. It's for me a creative way to express myself and to also, um, on a much darker side, I think move through really painful or traumatic experiences that we hold, um, you know, in our physical body as well as in our emotional body. Um, and, you know, as someone who is quite vocal as an activist and, you know, as an entrepreneur, um, it's really important for me to have a way to release this tension so that I'm not holding on to Um, and though I, like, I think most of my yoga journey had, like, in the beginning obviously was really like focused on the postures because that was really fun um, but now it's about like how can I take care of myself so I can you know do this work for a long time so that I can be you know sustainable in the different um, areas where my activism is taking place um, while also working to open a bigger and bigger hole into the yoga world for people of color um, it's it's been important for me to find and connect with other people. For example, Veronica, your, your wife, like I really resonate with her um, experience. And, you know, assimilation is something that happens when we're the only one. And that's certainly what happened to me like growing up. And so by us finding one another, you know, it really emboldens us to feel much more comfortable in our practice. And um, I believe everybody, every student of yoga deserves to have that that freedom, you know, to, to be, to, to express and to breathe next to every other student in that room, like no one is better than anybody else. No one is more deserving than anybody else. But I do find that people of color, we need that, that extra support system to really feel that way um, in a space like, like a yoga studio. Yeah, and I think that's true not only in the yoga studio, but, and I'm sure you would agree, also everywhere else. The yoga <laughs> yeah. studio sort of becomes this microcosm and a, and a safe space to practice these ideas and practice these, you know, the, this important assimilation. Um, let's go back because I wanted to talk about the cosmos and we took a very important diversion there. So first of all, what is the cosmos? And, uh, second of all, how did you have the idea or where was the spark of inspiration for you to create that? Mm -hmm. Um, so the cosmos is a community for Asian women creators to flourish and thrive. Um, so like through content and experiences, we are really trying to empower, um, this next generation of change makers, to create the culture change and representation that we feel that the Asian um, women deserve. Um, so we started technically November 2017. That was when my co-founder and I met. Um, we were introduced to each other by a mutual friend and over coffee, you know, we found ourselves really having a raw, honest and candid conversation about what it's been like to be, um, you know, Asian. So she grew up in the South, uh, South Carolina, Charleston to be exact, and I grew up in 
interestingly enough, despite totally different upbringings, we were really connected by similarly sense of loneliness and fragmentation of our identities, of trying to merge the painful traumatic experiences of growing up feeling othered and how that manifests in us as adults um, who haven't yet necessarily fully unpacked that or understood, you know, the implications of basically repressing certain parts of yourself for, you know, 18, 20 years. Um, and so over the course of that conversation, we really landed on this question of what does it look like for Asian women to flourish and thrive, um, which is a juxtaposition to survivorship, which is a template, you know, for living that our that our parents who came as immigrants or refugees from Asia, you know, not too long ago uh, had to to make it here, you know. And so for us, I find that, you know, being first generation, our privilege is self-actualization. We don't just get to think about how do we pay rent and get food on the table. We also get to think about what is happiness and fulfillment? Like, what does that look like in our lives? Um, and unfortunately, fulfillment is, if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right, fulfillment is definitely at the top. And not everybody gets to pursue that. Um, and so as we really thought about that question, we realized, hey, maybe we're not the only one. What if, what if other people care about this too? So that led us to uh, writing this like open letter on Medium, basically breaking down this conversation we had and the call to action was, hey, if you feel similarly, if you're also you know, kind of marinating on the question of what does it look like for us to flourish and thrive, let us know. And we ended up getting hundreds of responses uh, from just you know posting this Medium blog on our personal Facebook accounts and, and in a couple of different groups, which was really powerful. So we did this kind of crazy thing and decided to um, do a beta test and see like, okay, what if we put together a retreat and, you know, sell it out and, and let's see what happens if we get all of these different Asian women entrepreneurs and creatives and artists and, you know, people who work in finance, really like a diverse mix of people into a house for a weekend to really talk about what this movement could look like. Um, and so uh, January of last year, we, you know, booked a house in Seattle and we had 20 women from all over the U.S., primarily though LASF, Denver and New York take over this like big house that we rented and we spent three days together really getting into like some of the sore spots of our experiences like some of the really painful things that have happened in in our lives that made us feel less than or unworthy uh and then and using that as fuel almost to imagine very boldly uh you know what our future could look like if we work together if we really uh, try in our personal lives and in our the communities of which we're part to push for something greater like a better narrative uh, um, for Asian Americans. And that weekend really was life-changing in multiple different ways, but that was the foundation for the cosmos and really inspired us. You know, if 20 women, you know, half of whom were strangers who had no idea who my, me or my co-founder were, were willing to fly out to explore this question with us. And granted, at this time, Henry, we didn't even have a website or a name for this business. It was literally like, hey, Venmo us <laughs> and then meet us in Seattle at this random house. Um, but people were so hungry for this, right? We were, we were starved to to feel seen. Um, and so that was the impetus for everything. So we decided let's legitimize this. Let's um, come up with a name, put together a website, and get this show on the road. So March 8th, 2018, last year, which is International Women's Day, um, we launched. And since then, we have been fortunate enough to really grow at such an incredible rate. We, by now, have hosted 50 workshops. Um, we've done three of those retreats 
we launched a, a book club um, centered on reading Asian American authors and supporting, uh, you know, their careers in partnership with Asian American Writers Workshop. And, you know, we have by now have, you know, over a thousand women kind of like in our community talking to each other uh, and really trying to share resources, help each other's careers, like have a space where we could talk about things like family and, and intimacy and relationships um, from from our lens, you know, instead of trying to to fit towards like anybody else's narrative or narrow-minded view of what we should be. We're just doing the work and inspiring one another to continue to be ourselves and to recognize that like, you know, being yourself is the most powerful thing that you could ever be because there's no, it sounds really corny, but like it's true, right? There's no other you, like you are a unique footprint on this planet and you're here for a reason. And by coming together, we, we hope that, you know, we can continue to support one another. It's really hard to be the only one. But when you realize you are one of many, when you are connected to something greater than yourself, it gives you that you and and living your dharma, living on purpose, as we started out the podcast with. Mm-hmm. You know what I like so much about that whole story is that the central question that that sparked the whole thing: what does it mean to flourish and and thrive as opposed to just merely surviving um you know Mm -hmm. by bringing that question to the forefront and inviting others to participate in the dialogue around it you're actually moving yourself in the direction that you want to go together so it's it's sort of meta um yeah really empowering cool way (laughs) yeah i can't imagine that you know that's a like a very uh, heroic story there of just like success after success and like feeling the fire getting fueled. But I can't imagine that there weren't roadblocks along the way. (laughs) You know, what sort of conflicts did you run up against? Oh man, there were a lot. Um, So I think the important thing to caveat with is, you know, anytime you're, you're organizing people to do, identity related work, it's actually really, it's quite difficult. And um, it's also why, you know, you see a lot of burnout in activism or social justice oriented circles, right? Because the the work is so inherently personal. You are bringing your, the, the, the work is to bring your personal identity into a space and to really unpack what it means like on a micro and a macro level. Um, and it's hard. And I think, um, the, the reason why I think the cosmos is, is so important is because um, there is a lot of fragmentation right now in our community. And I guess I should provide some context on, on why it's important for, for us as an Asian American women's group to organize. And it's because, um, you know, the truth is we're not doing very well or great. Um, as, as, while model minority myth would like to say that, you know, we're getting the best jobs and we're doing really well in school and, you know, like, we're like we're making lots of money. Like that's really not true. If you, as as with any um, data set, once you disaggregate by you know ethnicity, by like um, you know geographic location, you start to see that that's not the case, right? Like if, if you look at averages, like there's a lot in the story that's really absent. And so, the importance for us in, in organizing our community is because we know that the reality is really stark. Um, and so, like a couple of the dire statistics that I have really come across is the fact that. Um, there was a study done where Asian women are the least likely to be promoted to manager positions or, and the least likely to be viewed as leaders. And that's because of a stereotype that we're good worker bees, and, but we're too docile and meek you know, to really be powerful enough to lead. Uh, and another really terrifying 
uh, statistic is just like the fact that we don't have very much Asian representation at any position of power. So if you look at you know Congress, if you look at um, Fortune 500 um, C-suite roles, if you look at the board of advisors of any big company, like we're so incredibly invisible and right so how can anybody say that we have you know power that we're doing well if we're not really represented in any position that would allow for somebody to advocate for us you know from in an authentic way and so that's really what I am inspired by you know like how can we help our community get economic social and political power um, and through that through that identity work like you know begin to realize that you know you're you are deserving of of these things of the life that you dare to imagine um but this work is it takes a lot um and i find that not people are not always comfortable looking in the mirror like i keep using that looking in the mirror metaphor because uh in order to make a change in your life you have to know where to work you have to know what's not working or what's potentially broken what needs to be deprogrammed and reprogrammed um and even within our community like it, ha- it means letting go of comfort, right? And again, there's so many parallels to yoga, but like we we hold on so tightly to what we know because we are afraid of, you know, like what what we know, like being gone. And, and the unknown is terrifying. And um, while it might be liberating, um, you know, it, it, takes, it takes a certain stamina to be able to keep doing the work of looking really critically um, at yourself. And a surprise, I mean, I guess an unsurprising thing is that most people are, you know, really afraid to do that because it means you're shaking up the entire foundation upon which, you know, your life and your expectations um, is founded upon. Um, but that is the requirement for, I think, any long-term, large-scale change, like developing, honestly, just the muscle to keep looking honestly and keep sitting so that you can feel empowered enough to to move on it and to act on it. Mm-hmm. You know, if, as you mentioned, Asian American women is actually quite a large and diverse group. If, if it's true that when you disaggregate this group into smaller um, factions, or I don't know if that's the right word, but smaller subsets, the struggles and challenges become more and more unique Mm-hmm. How have you reconciled that in a community that's that's based around finding the commonality and the the union in, in facing those obstacles? I think the important thing is to always, um, whenever you know I'm in a space, um, to acknowledge the the most marginalized or the often forgotten uh, perspectives in that space. And so if you're talking about an Asian, um, you know, an Asian organization such as ours, um, it's often the Southeast Asians and the South Asians that are not acknowledged. Um, and just in general, like there are in New York city, at least there are uh, way more East Asians here. So like Chinese and Korean. Um, and so when we're often what happens in Asian spaces is that other narratives, other ethnicities are forgotten or invisibilized. Uh, or made to feel othered. And so what's really important is recognizing that there is work that we have to do to uplift and make space for these other narratives that are not necessarily breaking through in Hollywood or in the workplace. Um, And because I come from a refugee family experience, like I have an extra empathy for other 
uh, refugee-oriented um, communities. Like, for example, Cambodians have, have gone through a lot, too, and they're here in America, but um, in Asian spaces, they're not often really brought into the light. And so I think it starts with centering the least, um, the most marginalized, and really giving them a, a place where they can share their experience and feel validated and affirmed uh, and to know that they have a support system too. And, and those of us who have maybe more privilege, um, acknowledging that like it's not always about our perspective. And so it's, for me, it's about inviting the voice that is not there and really encouraging them to you know, take, like, take control of that space and to, to use it in a way that they really need to. It's not always about like what what we think is right. It's about like, what, what does that community want? And I think an authentic way to invite that narrative in is to, um, is to not kind of put them in a box, but actually bring people in who have a narrative or an experience that you don't have and asking for them to be at the table, like creating something with you, not force fitting them into a box of what you think they should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very well said. And I think that attitude, that approach to interaction with all different people can can take us very far together yeah absolutely cassandra i'd love for you to tell us about something that you're excited about either happening now or something that you're looking forward to in in relationship to the cosmos or anything else that you're working on yeah i'm so glad you asked um we have some really big plans this year um, and it starts with a crowdfund campaign that we're launching on Valentine's Day, February 14th. And the campaign is um, bold and ambitious, of it, but for a good reason. We're looking to raise $75,000 towards producing the Cosmos Summit, which is going to be the first large-scale um, gathering for you know millennial Asian women that we've ever seen. Um, I mean, I've certainly never seen anything like it, and you know, in the spirit of the Cosmos. Uh, we're really taking the like if we if it's not happening like let's build it so we're we're hoping for this to happen late August um, but imagine like a one day experience of you know panels and workshops and a vendor marketplace where you can you know buy products and services from Asian women owned businesses um, an opportunity to like celebrate our food and really have I think honest conversations about again like how can we imagine a world where we all flourish and thrive. What does that look like? And how do we carry that ethos into our everyday life? Um, so for me, this is just like the, the next big manifestation of our mission, which is to not only create a space where Asian women um, of all different types of experience, experiences can come together and talk about you know the things that they likely never had a space where they felt comfortable enough to, to get into, but to um, collectively feel the power that comes from coming together. And one thing that over and over surprises me is how emotional I get when I am in a space and I look around and I'm surrounded by the women that I wish growing up. Um, having never been somebody who like cared too much about like television or movies or Hollywood, um, it's only in recent years when I've like had the privilege of, you know, seeing movies like Crazy Rich Asians or being in being proud, I guess, like in in spaces that celebrate like my identity, have I realized like it's something you can't underestimate, you know, to to be among other people who love and accept you and understand your experience um, in a way that you don't have to explain or, or, you know, assert yourself. And so we're really trying to create that stage, that platform for more of us to come together um, 
and the hope is, you know, because it's a very public-facing thing, you know, putting together a summit, that we can also make a big splash nationally and get visibility so that little girls um, and women in college can see, quite frankly, that, you know, we're very aggressively and boldly um, taking up space. We are building something for ourselves and we're being unapologetic about it. Um, and, you know, it's. I really believe that once our community is empowered, we can really help other POC communities. We can create a more just and, and equitable world for all. You know, like, you know, mobilizing for and organizing for Asian women, to me, is just one small piece of a bigger puzzle towards, like, a more peace-filled, I think, world. Um, but again, it always starts with, with looking inside and beginning to slowly, like, like ripples kind of like coming out, concentric circles coming out, like just pushing, you know, that change outward slowly and slowly. Definitely. I think um, what you just said is very true and very powerful. You start at the individual level and inevitably there's a ripple effect. Um, this, this sort of attitude is, is contagious. And the more momentum that builds up, the easier it is for it to snowball and really take shape at a broader scale. So I really appreciate everything that you're doing, and I appreciate you um, taking the time to, to talk to me about it today. I think now is the perfect time to move on to our final section of the interview, which is a little bit lighter. It's called mm-hmm. the Prana Round, and <laughs> I'm going to ask you six rapid-fire questions and ask you to answer in minimum one word, maximum one sentence, okay? Okay, let's do it. All right. In one word, why do you practice yoga? Oh, I, I just had like a wave of emotions hit me when you asked that. Um, self-love. What? That's a hyphenated word, so I'll accept it. <laughs> what, <laughs> what's your favorite yoga pose and why? Oh, man. You're asking hard questions. Um, I've always loved Ardha Tandrasana, um, specifically with the Chopasana modification. To me, it's everything. You know, it's, it's it feels graceful. It's it's a standing pose. It's also a back bend, and it's I think it's very classic <laughs> meat fashion. Just all the things in one, and it's beautiful. What is the single best cue or piece of advice that you've ever received from a teacher? Don't stop showing up. Recommend one book either modern or ancient, for our listeners. When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron. I hope I'm not butchering her name. If, if you know how to say it, <laughs> Henry, please let me know. I, I've only read the, the name, so I have my... Yeah, that's how I would have guessed <laughs> it's pronounced, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was just a blind guess, so hopefully yeah. one of your listeners can correct me. <laughs> Is yoga for everyone? Yes. Okay, last question. How can our audience get in touch with you and how can we support you in your dharma? Um, I would appreciate um, if everybody could subscribe to our newsletter at www.jointhecosmos.com. We'll be sharing information about our crowdfund campaign soon. So if you feel obliged or, you know, like connected to my story, would really appreciate um, any donations possible towards helping us um, really create culture change for Asian women. Perfect. Thank you for that call to action. Um, and thank you again for, for sharing, sharing your Dharma today and 
being such an open book about your uh, past experience and struggle and assimilation and everything you're doing to, to make change for others. Thank you, Henry, for having me. Hey, Dharma Talk community. If you enjoyed this podcast and you haven't done so already, please hit the subscribe button right now. And if you'd like to show your support even more, leave me an honest review on iTunes or whatever podcast directory you listen on. You can also make a financial contribution to keep the show up and running, a donation at henrywins.com. And remember, I'm here to serve you. So if you have any questions or comments or ideas, you can always reach me on Instagram at henrywins. Otherwise, I'll speak to you next week. Keep living your dharma.